Hello, once this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson, and we're here talking all things sports. In Salford, joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweeten from the Sweetener's House Podcast. How's your week been, mate? Terrific week, Rob. It's December now. It's time to crack out those advent calendars. It's the countdown for Christmas, and I can't wait to get into all the sporting talk we've got for you. Yeah, loads and loads to go at on the show tonight. Uh, James, we'll start with football uh, this week. And obviously you were here last week when we talked about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's departure from Manchester United. Uh, what's your thought process and feelings about that? I'm desperately sad, Rob. Uh, I don't know if you saw that MUTV interview he, uh, he did where he was almost in tears. It was extremely emotional listening to him crack up but cry about the fact that Carrick was taking over and how emotional he was. It's sad because... Yes, we have Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho and David Moyes who weren't quite capable of achieving the same things that Sir Alex Ferguson did. But they didn't love the club in the way Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did. He absolutely adored United. He bled Old Trafford, didn't he? So the fact that he wasn't quite able to do the job is deeply upsetting. I think ultimately, after his little spell in charge as a caretaker manager, he was given a job that was far too big for him at the time. He didn't have the managerial experience and he didn't have the tactical prowess to be able to do the job. And he was simply just thrown in the deep end and he wasn't wearing any armbands. So that's how I felt about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And it was so sad to see, to see him go down like this because people adore him. We all love Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and even now he's left, people still love him. And I just hope that he himself can find some inner peace with this decision. It's, it was disappointing. I, under, I understand you know, your thought process on that, James. Um, he is a legend at Manchester United, and we all wanted him to, to succeed. But as a, as a manager and as a style of play that he suits and wants to play, I don't think that suits the Man United way. And I think he got found out at this level. Yes, we 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 had a very we had a successful season last season, but when over the chips started to go down, he struggled to turn turn the team and and the club around. He did put procedures in place off the field uh, with you know um, you know by behind the scenes, which is important because it sounded like uh, ever since uh, Sir Alex Ferguson left, he's gone to Rakiruin. So him coming in and and, and sorting that behind the scenes is important and it's, and obviously with new coaches coming in now they don't have to do a complete real rebuild they just have to concentrate on building from sort of medium to top up so in saying that you talked about last season how things went so much better for us mm. what do you think the reason was i mean i mean diagnose this problem why did we go so far downhill season to season it's a good question, James, because I, I think it's it's more about players' attitude than who's in charge. And I think the players, Roy Keane famously has said that these players throw coaches under buses. He says they threw Jose under the bus and he said that they'd do it to Oli too. And it, it came out true, didn't it? And it's it kind of, you think back to that moment and, and you think back to the successes we have, is it is it a player power situation because obviously these coaches uh, especially Jose Mourinho uh, is a successful coach in his own right he's won trophies won league titles so to, for them to sort of turn on him and then turn on all his shows do the players have too much power at Manchester United that's the question James 
Yeah, I think so. I think Roy Keane talks about this quite a lot, how it was the players that threw him under the bus, those who didn't want to work for him, those who weren't working hard enough. And mm. do you feel that same way, Rob? I mean, is Ole Gunnar Schardt to blame to this? Or was the squad just not doing the job? I think with Ole, his tactics are counter-attacking football. And it can, that kind of works if you have a solid base to go off and you are defensively strong. But with football the way it is, possession is control. And if you have possession of the ball, you can dictate a game and you can, you know, tire teams out and eventually go and win games. That's what Man City do. That's what Liverpool do. That's what Chelsea do. And the way Manchester United play played under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was give the opposition the ball, be solid and hit him on the break. But Manchester United are Manchester United teams, if they are allowed to come on to Manchester United, will grow in confidence. And I feel that's what's happened. Man United is attack, attack, attack. You swamp teams, you put them under pressure. And Ollie's tactics wasn't in that, you know, that, that situation, unfortunately, for him and for us. And do players who play in that system, do they want to be involved in that? Cons- well, is it conservative football that you're sitting back and then hitting people on the on the, the break rather than just going at teams and attack. Do players think, well, I'm I'm a French, French international. I should be seen as a, a top player who's at one, the attacking end of the field, putting through balls through or, or whipping free kicks in or, or scoring goals in 25 yards. I shouldn't be seen as the guy who has to track back 30 metres to make a tackle. That's not, people aren't going to notice me doing that as much as they would do by going forward. So, People like that are they thinking? Well, it doesn't. This style doesn't suit my style of play, and I kind of drag my feet a bit after that. Well, ultimately, it's egos, isn't it, Rob? Mm. It's people being babies and kicking off because things aren't going their way, and ultimately, that's only to the detriment of the team. And I don't think, for example, a Paul Pogba who can be a little bit moody, as people say, you know, in the change room and behind the scenes, his stock value doesn't go up off the back of bad performances. It only goes down, so it's only derogatory towards himself. So I think he only has himself to blame for for the way he's viewed now. And he should be considered one of the best midfielders on the planet because he's got the talent. But I'm not sure he's viewed in that sort of demographic anymore. Is he really? Well, he he isn't because he he sees himself as an attacking kind of midfielder. Let's say the likes of Bruno Fernandes, who's kind of bursting bursting into sort of midfield, attacking zones, putting through balls through. While at Manchester United, if you're going to play centre midfield, in the system we used to play under Ole was you are sat as a defensive sort of midfielder. Pogba's best success he's had when he was at Juventus, I think he was on the was he on the left wing or the right wing he, in in a three. He wasn't the middle of a of a of a of a four or a five. So really, him playing on the wing gives him more space to to create in Italy as well. It's a bit slower, so I suppose he has more time to think. Um, but he wants to be seen as the main man in that midfield and. Can he fit in this midfield? In well, could he fit in the midfield in the structure put in place by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Not for me, because he didn't like to track back. And midfielders have to be have to be goal side. That's a, that's a basic rule in football. You have to get goal side when you're defending. And a lot of times you didn't track the runners, and that's what that's unfortunately the reason why he was caught out a few times. But like we say, new manager now. New tactics being shown. Um, you know, it might be a, a new bright future for uh, for Paul Pogba and Co. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we're hoping for the best, aren't we? Maybe this Gigi impressing, or Gag impressing, should I say, is uh, the way forward. But before we get on to that, Michael Carrick, the best mm. manager in Manchester United history, yes or no? 
<laughs> yeah, three three games undefeated. Uh, you know, I suppose he steadied the ship. And t- let's be fair, he- he's had a fantastic career at Manchester United. 316 appearances in total, 17 goals. And he will be seen as a, as a Manchester United great. He might not fit into the very best Manchester United midfield of all time, which would be Giggs, Beckham, Scholes and Keane. But he'd be probably on the bench ready to go into that slip into that midfield. Uh because he was fantastic, he knew whether he knew the through balls. He could see a ball, he could make a tackle. He was up and down the field, and that is why he will be viewed as as a as a great at Manchester United and, and a kind of player that really will just walk into this team now and and take it to that ne- that next level. And the fact that he was a coach and stepped up when Ollie when Ollie left and steadied the ship and the players played for him, uh, you know, shows the, the character of a man. And for me, James, it's an interesting fact, interesting thought that. He left because uh, Ran, Ran, Ralph Randnick wanted him to stay and he decided he didn't want to stay. Is that because he wants a clean break, you know, for the players? Because if you have two coaches, two head coaches kind of involved at the same time, who listens to which coach is important? So did he decide to leave to give Ralph the uh, the, full, the full, um, you know, viewing of all the players rather than being there and having a having maybe two voices in, involved yeah I mean it's probably better to have one voice rather than two they often say that in a boxer's corner that you're getting ulterior instructions mm. so it's difficult just to concentrate on the one voice and know what to do so you're almost caught between game plans mm. so it's never ideal and I know that Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer and Michael Carrick were allegedly classing behind the scenes quite a lot they weren't getting on they had different ideas and ideologies of how the team should be run Mm. off the back of what we saw from Michael Carrick if he'd have been in the same situation as Solskjaer and he'd have got two or three seasons how do you think he'd got on unfortunately James we're in in this position aren't we where we start well coaches who who come into Manchester United they they start very well and then after a bit they they drop off and whether that's the coach's problem or whether that's a player's problem we've, we've talked about players not wanting to play for coaches we've talked about uh, coaches not being able to, uh, you know, deal with the high pressure of, of being Manchester United manager and, and tactics being wrong. So, uh, Michael Carrick coming in, winning three games, I suppose we'll never know. But if Manchester United would have given Michael Carrick the full-time manager's job in three months' time, um, would would have that? Would, do you think that would have been a good decision? Because for me, it probably wouldn't have been. Because this team, like you said, a lot of egos in that dressing room at Manchester United, lots of big players, they want to be coached by somebody who is at the top of the game, at the very top level. And, you know, talk respect to, to Michael Carrick, he isn't a world-class coach yet. So would them players, you know, have that in the back of their minds? Would they take everything he said in and and make his plans come to fruition? If if it was like a top top coach, like would do they give him a bit, a bit more respect? Do they run for him a bit more? That's a big question. So I'm I'm in one side of me, I'm glad James that he did go to give um, a clean break uh, with Ralph coming in. And it gives the players that opportunity now to think. Well, Ralph's here; he'll implement his ideas on on the on the team, and we'll go from there. Which is which is important because obviously Manchester United need to play well. They need to win. They need to be competing on all fronts, um, and hopefully, will be from now on. Yeah, I think you're right. Ultimately, I don't think that the players would have respected Michael Carrick enough for him to be there long term. Hmm. But it doesn't matter anyway. Because now, Rob, 
it's time for a bit of gag impression, a bit mm-hmm. of high press. It's Ralph Rangnick. He's now the man who's taken over the ship at Manchester United, and we're hoping he can patch up the water wound and take us to dry land. <laughs> all, all of the theatre dreams, all the United faithful, they all seem to have this inner belief that Ralph Rangnick is the man to take us forward. And I seem to think that way as well. If you look through his portfolio, he took RB Leipzig, he got, I think, three divisions. Mm-hmm. He had a wondrous time at Hamburg. He's just a great, great manager. And he might not have done it at the highest level. Well, the highest level in terms of teams. He's not managed like a Bayern Munich or a Borussia Dortmund or a team like that. But we can still see that he's got this innate ability to take teams who are struggling and improve them. Mm. And since Sir Alex has left Manchester United, we've spiralled down almost into irrelevance. David Moyes, Jose Mourinho, Louis van Gaal, none of them can steady the ship. I think Ralph Rangnick can. I think he has the history of adapting struggling teams and making them better, something that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer couldn't necessarily do. And I mean, he did have that way of installing happiness into the club and we all enjoyed it, but he didn't have the tactical prowess Mm. to see it through in the long term. I think Ralph Rangnick does. And I know... The long-term plan is him to leave in the summer to bring in a new manager like an Eric Tan Hag, and I know there's a new update on him, so we'll get onto that later. But until the end of the season, I think Ralph Randick is going to be a very good appointment, and I'm so happy that he's got that first win out the way against Crystal Palace. And ironically, Fred, who you've <laughs> bashed on this show, and so have I repeatedly, mm. he's the man who's waved in this new era at Manchester United. Well, what a goal, James. What a goal by Fred. Edge of the box, whips it in, top corner, Top bins can keep on no chance. You know, I, never, I don't understand why we seem to bag him every week. What, what a what a fantastic player! Well, let, let's be serious. One swallow doesn't make a summer, but by all accounts, he, he did play well. And and if he continues to play at that at that level, then I'd have no problem. You know, you know, apologising and saying, you know what, he's turned the corner. He's suddenly turned into a Man United great. But I think the fact <laughs> is, Ralph, what he's asking for Fred to do is break up the play. Your job is to, to go and tackle them, tackle the, tackle, the, break up the play, break the moves up, and then give it to somebody else who can do something with it. That's your job. Don't come out. Don't try and make any forty-yard passes. Don't try and dribble past three people. That's not your job. I just want you to go out there and do the do the dirty stuff, make the tackles, and and track the players, and 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 I'll be happy with that. You'll play my team every week if you do that. And he did. He did fantastically well uh, today against Crystal Palace, and, and we're hoping that kind of thing continues. As Ralph's first game, it shows that Man United players are motivated by this guy because, like you said, very successful in, in, in a few German clubs. He, with his gang and press, likes of Klopp and Guardiola, you know, they play this style and they want to be. Manchester United players want to be at the very top level with the likes of Liverpool and Manchester and Manchester City. And they can see that this process is the way forward because what it is, when Ralph had his first uh, press conference, he said that the important thing about football is control. You control possession, you control the game, and then you can you, you have more of a chance of winning. And that's a really key thing for me because if you've got the ball, they can't score. And if you've got the ball, they get tired chasing you around. And it's more football is a really, really interesting game. When you play it, if you don't have the ball, it becomes a very, very tiring game because all you do is chasing all the time. And if Manchester United can monopolise possession, monopolise the ball, and the chances will come. 
like today against Crystal Palace. First half, Manchester United swamped Crystal Palace. They were all over them. Unfortunately, we didn't score. In the second half, United struggled. They got a bit tired, and then Fred comes up with a wonder goal. But that's all that matters. Manchester United get the three points. Ralph comes away happy. He secured his first victory, and the players start thinking, you know what, this process might work because we, we tired Crystal Palace out in that first half, and then we got the winner. But don't forget, he's only been here, what, half a week, training with, with, with the boys. And when we look back at Klopp at Liverpool and how long it took him to get this Liverpool squad up to the standard they're at now, it took him a couple of seasons and the Liverpool fans at one point were getting a bit twitchy uh, with him, but look what happened. He delivered the title uh, and now he's uh, the best thing uh, in uh, immersed eyes since uh, Scouth Broth. Bad, is that it? <laughs> I mean, you mentioned there that you're willing to almost apologise for Fred for, for the slander. I suppose well, we should call it. You've directed his way, <laughs> directed his way, and uh, as, a, as an avid listener to the Sports Zone Show, he's, he's been deeply offended. <laughs> but um, do you think there's any chance that he could become a staple of the Manchester United team? Is there any chance that we've got it wrong and that Ralph Rangnick can get through to this man and bring out the best in him? It's totally down to Fred. If Fred wants to wants to be a a breaker up of, of, of possession and just pass the ball to the nearest guy. Don't try and be a creative midfield. Don't I don't want you running forward and trying to score. I just want you to sit and break their their uh, attacks up. He could he could make a, a, a statement in this Man United uh, team. He's, I don't think he's ever going to be a Roy Keane. We've got we've got to be honest with ourselves. But when you look at the market, the likes of uh, Declan, Declan Rice, uh, Kante, uh, th- there's players like that who are a similar mould to Fred, but will cost Manchester United upwards of, of 100 million quid. So will they, will Manchester United and the owners want to spend that kind of money on a player when you've got Fred who... You know, he's, he's doing a good job at the moment. If his confidence continues to build, who knows where he might go. But like I said, one good game doesn't make a, a swan swallow, doesn't make a summer. And we'll see what happens. He, he might become a, a bit of a squad player and come and do, you know, certain games in, in certain situations. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I suppose so, Rob. And I think if you want to build a team, I mean, Ralph Rangnick said this himself, one of the most important things about building a football team is cash and capital. Yeah. And you've got to make the right investments. And I think bringing in a new central defensive midfielder is the way forward. Because even if Fred can become this amazing player, Nemanja Matic can still only re- give you a good solid 20 minutes. Yeah. So I do feel like we need to bring somebody in. But moving on to the games that we've got this week, Rangnick will have his first encounter in the Champions League with young boys. Probably yeah. a game for him to maybe experiment with the team a little bit because we're already in the last 16. Mm. And then we've got a game against Norwich, away from home. Norwich, of course, struggling badly in the Premier League. You'd imagine two easiest games for Rangnick to get his foot in the door and to understand how Manchester United begin to play. It's going to be interesting, James, because like you said, with young, as we're already through, he might think to himself, well, let's see what, I, what all the, the squad players can do. But you are Manchester United. Is he in a position after one, one game and a 1-0 win Again, with a team that he selected to be able to, you know what, what we'll do, we'll just throw all, all that team sheet in the bin, we'll put a new team out and then ask him to, to play to a format he has set. Or does he say to the team that he played against um, Crystal Palace, does he say, 
you know what? We tried this this pattern. It, you know, it worked for 45 minutes. What I'm going to do, I'm going to give you another go. I'm going to let you play again so you can get your head around this situation and the pattern, the, the processes I want you to play. And for me, I think it would be a better idea to play the same team he played against Crystal Palace because he played, he played the same team as what Michael Carrick played in his last uh, game as a Manchester United coach. So I, I'm thinking to myself, maybe there's there's a thought process going on here that we want this, we want to get this press sorted. We, we want to be want players to know where they are involved in this system. So to keep playing them, it, it helps them realise what they've got to do in certain situations. We have got a fantastic squad. We've got we've got great players who can come in, but I don't think complete change of everybody works. Maybe bring one or two in if you have to, if you want to freshen legs up. But for me, I, I wouldn't be swapping the whole team, James, because if if you're a new coach coming in, you want with a new philosophy. Don't forget and the new way of playing. I don't think a, a whole new. 11 makes much you know isn't make much sense i mean maybe not maybe ralph ragnett needs to keep working with the team he's got at the moment and the team that's already sort of been solidified by oligon associate and just gradually bring in his style of play and maybe in january bring in a few more players i mean mm. i suppose there's no point making long-term investments for him as he isn't going to be the guy playing with that team because he's going to leave in the summer but then again i suppose he's going into that consultancy role and, and the teams he's been involved with have made good investments and i suppose he'll be part of that going forward so any investments he do make in january will ultimately benefit him down the line but anyway moving on to manchester city now a 3-1 win against watford and they've got a couple of games coming up this weekend and mm. yeah. now silva what a player fantastic goal against aston villa uh, last weekend, scored another cracker today um, against against Watford, and you know you see, you know Manchester City as a perfect example of where Manchester United should aim for. They've got internationals all over that field. They're all sort of happy to play in in a system. Everyone's interchangeable. Jack Grealish played is a, a false nine against Watford. He, I don't know why he didn't score, James. He had chances. Goalkeeper's making unbelievable saves. And he normally plays on the left of a three. So for him to go in the middle and play like that shows that he, after 10 games or so at Manchester City, he's bought, he's bought into that process. He's bought into that system that they use. Uh, and it shows how much of a great player he's going to be. Um, and it will be interesting to see when uh, the player of the uh, year comes out, player of the season comes out, who will be picked? Because obviously you've got some fantastic players who are playing in the Premier League at the moment, like some Mo Salah and Bernard Silva, uh, Christi uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. That there's going to be players on that list. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where the where Silva is and and Grealish is come uh, May. Yeah, most certainly it'll be very interesting. And then lastly, looking at our other local team, Salford. Coming off a 2-0 loss against Chesterfield, but they've got a couple of winnable games coming up. Of course, we're still 11th in the table, so we're, you know, we're doing okay. Barrow, 20th place, mm. definitely a winnable game. And then Mansfield, 15th place. We should be picking up six points there, surely. Yeah. You know, looking back at the cup game against Chesterfield, uh, Liam Makerville goal uh, for Chesterfield, just outside the box. Wonder strike, goalie beating all ends up. Um, just... Um, is it Mokras had a has the best chance for for Salford just wide, uh, big chance there. Bit of a giant killing really because Chesterfield are obviously going really well in the I think it's in the, in the Northwest Counties League. I think it is. They're doing really well at the top of that, that top of that division. So for Salford to lose is a disappointment. But 
I suppose Gary Bowie now has the opportunity to concentrate on the league and trying to get up that league table because that's important because obviously with the owners wanting to reach the highest possible uh, you know, playing standard. I think it's so important they get the chance to uh, to play at the very top level, and hopefully they they'll get a run going in uh, in the twenty twenty two uh, year. Moving on to the rugby now, Paul, and it's been a great week for the Salford Red Devils because they have bagged a new signing. Talk us through it. Yes, Salford Red Devils been busy in the transfer market this week, James. Tim Latiti uh, signs. Uh, he's a centre, a Samoan international, uh, ex-NRL, great player, knows where the line is, and I think he's going to add a lot of, of try scoring potential uh, to this uh, Salford Red Devils team. Uh, we've got some fine centres. We've got Cat like Callum Watkins available. Uh, we've got Dan Sidgson. Uh, we've got other, you know, magical centres that you think, you know, given opportunities, they're going to score tries. So hip to be added to that uh, pack of uh, players who can play in the centre, it only adds to the strength of uh, Paul Rowley's team because, you know, with Super League with injuries and, and, and suspensions, every player gets opportunity. And this guy comes in, he just needs that opportunity. If he gets an opportunity, James, he could nail down a, you know, first team spot. He's a, he's a Samoan international. He's played in the NRL for nearly 10 years. So he, he is a player who isn't is it a rookie he knows what what t- it takes to play at the very top level so for him to get a chance and out, out of the NRL to come to Salford Devils and and get an opportunity to shine he'll be he'll be able to take that with both hands James so I'm looking forward to see what he delivers uh you know in the next uh, few few months how do you think his tactics and his game will develop from playing in the NRL to playing over here well, it's always adapting because obviously the NRL is so much quicker and it's so much uh, more intense. But he has scored tries over there. He is a danger man. Um, so I, I'm thinking to myself, you know, if he comes over and gets, uh, you know, fit and he gets, you know, sharp and he, and he gets service, he could well take Salford to that next level. Like I said, we've got some great centres anyway. Like I said, with, with likes of Dan Sargentson uh, and Callum Watkins and and Harvey Levet. There's, there's players who can play in that area. But this guy is tried tried and tested. He knows where the line is. He's got skills, James. So I think Paul Rowley. He knew that he wanted to strengthen in that area. And this guy's come along, and he's he's picked him up, and and I've got a feeling, obviously, with his with his talent, he has the opportunity to pass that on to the younger players. That's important because you need your younger players to develop, and he's him coming in will allow that to happen. And I'm I'm super excited about you know what's to come, um, you know, with him and the rest of the uh, Salford team. Most certainly. And could you talk us through the preseason that we've been having so far? We're four weeks into it. How's it all shaping up? Yeah, you know, James, it's looking good for, for Salford. The, the you know the transfer window uh, has been going very well. We've got Amir Burrow in. Uh, we've got Ryan Braley from Leeds. Brodie Croft from Brisbane Broncos. You know, he is a, is a direct replacement for Jackson Hastings. When he came in, Jackson Hastings changed Salford Red Devils, and we're hoping that Brodie Croft will do the same 
Um, he's a great uh, scrum half. He's tactically aware. He's got a great kicking game. He's got pace. So you got to watch out for him. Um, and then you've got Shane Wright, who works hard. And it's just important, obviously, that Paul Rowley, who's come in, he was obviously involved in the in the the youth development side at, at Salford. So him coming in, uh, he is experienced. He's he's come. Uh, he's managed at, at Lee and he's managed at Toronto Wolfpack. So he has managed at, at a, a very high standard. Um, so his first opportunity in Super League, he's not wet at behind the ears. An experienced coach. So I'm I'm thinking that he will know how to get the best out of our out of Salford's players. And we can look at, you know, going into this uh, season strong and successful. And this team and this club, oh, we just need a continuous run of success, James. If if Salford can get a top six finish and a good cut run this year, then that'll be a success. If you can do that for the next five or six years, people will become switched on and, and want to come and watch the club. And with a potential move to, to Moor Lane, uh, owning our own stadium and generating our own money uh, it will only help the group the club grow uh, and we'll go on to bigger and better things yeah it's absolutely fantastic news rob and which teams do you think will be looking for success in the 2022 season well lots of players lots of teams have uh, strengthened james uh, which is important because obviously you know with like i said before with injuries it's it's important that you know, teams are able are able to invest, and I look at the likes of Catalan Dragons. They brought in Mitchell Pearce uh, from Australia, Newcastle Knights. He is a fantastic player. He, uh, Catalan Dragons, got to a grand final last year. Uh, were beaten, uh, you know, late on, and he might take them, uh, you know, over the last step and and take them to the promised land. I look at Huddersfield Giants bringing in ex Salford favourite Theo Farge from from uh, St Helens, Chris Hill's experience from Warrington. Um, he's br- they've taken back Sebastian Ikea for from from us, uh, and they've also took Tuilola here, which is going to be interesting because obviously Theo Farge and Tuilola here. Both great halfbacks, but can they work together? Will they able to 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 be able to create enough to make these giants dangerous? And that and that's an important thing, really, because obviously I, I look at teams like Hull, for example. Hull, their play, their uh, main playmaker, Mark Steen, has joined us so for Red Devils, and you know we're super excited about that. And they've replaced him with Luke Gale, who has come from Leeds, and Luke Gale is uh, probably late 30s is he has he got enough left in the tank to take Hull to where they want to be if swaps need basically swaps need for Gale and I think Salford have have the better side of that deal a lot of Hull fans might not agree with, agree with me because obviously they they've seen uh, Sneed over the last few years and they think Gale might be the might be a better option but for me I don't think he is. I think Leeds have got rid of him at the right the right point. Hull Kingston Rovers, another team who are trying to break into that top six. They brought uh, Lachlan Coots in from St. Ellen's, top player from St. Ellen's, and he will want to take uh, Hull Kia to that next level. And you're looking at that, that team and you think to yourself, you know, will they be able to find a way? They do. They have found a way a lot of times, but... It's consistency, James, and they also have that pressure of, of the Hull FC being on the other side of the water. It's you know the the derby between Hull FC and Hull KR is something to behold, and there's always going to be rivalry. There's always going to be pressure, uh, and we'll have to wait and see what what happens there. Uh, Leeds Rhinos, like I said, 
you know, with Luke Gale gone, they brought in Blake Austin uh, from Warrington and Adam Caesar from Huddersfield. Both li- could literally be, uh, you know, player of the season contenders. High pro, high profile, high pressure on Leeds uh, Rhinos. They aren't the Leeds Rhinos of 10 years ago, right? You know, the likes of Kevin Sinfield, Rob Burrow, you know, uh, Jamie Peacock, you know, they aren't that Leeds, that, they aren't that Leeds Rhinos team. They're trying to get back there. But these big players sometimes don't really match up well. We did it at Salford when Mao Kukash came in and, uh, you know, when Brian Noble was, was there, they, taught, they brought Tim Smith in, they brought Rangi Chase, and it didn't quite work. They brought Gaz Hock in, a lot of big names at the time, and uh, it didn't quite work. So we'll have to be interested to see what happens at Leeds Rhinos because, they've, like I say, they brought two couple of good players in, and uh, will, they, will they be able to uh, find a way of mixing that up? Wakefield are always a team who will graft. Uh, they brought in Lee Gaskell from Huddersfield, ex-Salford player. Liam Hood, another ex-Salford player. Tom Lineman scores tries. He scored tries for Warrington uh, a lot of a lot of his career. Um, but will have they got enough class in that team and in that squad to, to really ask questions? I'm not sure, uh, truth be told. But it is one of them. Warrington, always, they always say it's always Warrington's year. Uh, Daryl Powell's come in. Um, they'll want a challenge at the top and then get to a grand final. Um, brought Oliver Holmes, brought Peter Metautia from Castleford. They've kind of followed him. Uh, is it a good idea to bring players in who have played under you so you can have a voice in that changing room? It's going to be fascinating because obviously Warrington is a big job. And if you don't start off well at Warrington, Warrington fans turn quite quick. So Daryl Powell under pressure from the very start from me. Yeah, I certainly want to be on the raft of the end of the uh, the Warrington fan robs. But now it's time to move on to the world of ice hockey. And they had an impressive win at the weekend in Manchester Storm. Can you talk us through it? Yeah, 3-2 win against uh, Guildford at the Storm Shelter. James called it last week, said they were going to come out firing, and they did. Uh, four goals, one from Van Wormer, one from Critchlow, one from Thompson, one from Brady. 3-2. Guildford, fantastic win. Happy with that. We, you know, we, we talked about how Storm need to score goals, and they did. And that's the important thing. As long as they continue to, to put the puck in the goal, they'll continue to go up that up that league. And that's important because, obviously, you know, the fans down at the Storm Shuttle want to be entertained, but they also want to win. been lots of talk about frustration and not being pressing teams and what and getting results they want, but we're hoping this will this will be the, uh, the the result that turns the uh, turns the season, and they continue to go up the league. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. And also, can you talk us through the fixtures for this weekend? Because I know they've got some tough ones. Yeah, Cardiff at home on the eleventh, and Five Flyers away on the twelfth. Cardiff at a good side. Uh, we will obviously need to be at our best to get a result there. Five flyers away, always a difficult place to go, Five, uh, But you're kind of hoping that, you know, Brian, Ryan Finity can can get something out of his, his team. Uh, and am I, am I thinking two from two? Possibly. I, I think it, these players can be, you know, confident going into these two games, can be fit and, and play as a good unit. We, we can get a win there. Yeah, 
So let's talk boxing now on the Sport Zone. James and Skybet had Lucas Brown at six to one. Underdog going into this weekend's fight. He was coming off a loss against rugby star Paul Gallon and we expect to lose a game on Saturday, but he came back from behind to get a seventh round knockout. So uh, talk us through the fight, James. Honestly, Rob, I'm just absolutely relieved for Lucas Big Daddy Brown because after the Paul Gallon fight, where he got wiped out inside just around by a rugby league star, I was terrified for him. Because he was stepping up against a former Australian champion, 27 years old in Fega de Yango. And I thought, there's a real chance he's just going to act out again here. But he didn't. He was outboxed the first four rounds and he looked slow. He looked better than the Gallon fight initially, that must be said. He was 10 pounds lighter, which was a good sign because he was slightly overweight going into that last fight. But yeah, either way, he was getting outboxed for the first four rounds, but he did what he does, what he has done throughout his entire career. And he just rode it out, Rob. He rode it out. He survived. He didn't care that he was getting a bit of a box. He just stayed in there. And eventually, when his right hand started to land, Django couldn't take it because nobody can take Lucas Brown's right hand when it actually lands. And eventually, it was actually his left, a left uppercut that put Django out cold. But even still, I'm so happy for Lucas Brown because, yes, he is gone. There's no doubt about it. He's far, 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 far removed from his prime. But the self-belief still rages on. And the amount of heart he had to show again to get that victory, it's nothing short of phenomenal, Rob. And I'll throw this question to you because, obviously, you're not necessarily the world's biggest boxing fan, but you're a <laughs> massive rugby league fan, and you yeah. know all about Paul Gallon. Hmm. So when Lucas Brown lost to him, I mean, me and Paul were talking about this fight week in, week out on the show when it was building up in April, that Paul Gallon-Lucas Brown fight. Absolutely massive pay-per-view in Australia. And you must have thought, a former boxing world champion against Paul Gallon, of course the boxing world champion is going to win. And that, that's what so many people thought. So when Gallon knocked him out inside or around, you must have thought this Australian champion must be shot to pieces. So are you even surprised to see that he's got to win again? Well, let's let's put Paul Gallon in, 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 the, in the right area. He has been a great of rugby league. Uh, and he's now gone into boxing and he's, he's kind of showing, uh, you know, what talent he's got. Um, was I surprised that he beat Lucas Brown? Probably the way obviously you talked about Lucas Brown, as in he's, he's kind of going over the edge now and it is time for him to kind of retire. So for Paul Gallon to give him a bit of a pasting, there's a lot of rugby, play, rugby league players do go into boxing and there is um, a kind of a rugby league uh, a sort of a, a boxing fight. It's supposed to happen uh, shortly. Um, with uh, Joey Lussick, ex Opal player, he's supposed to be fighting Paul Gallon, I think, shortly. So there is a lot of sort of history with rugby players who go into boxing, like uh, Sonny Bill Williams. He was a he was a rugby league player who went to, in, into boxing, and so um, I'm I surprised that he, he gave him a bit of a tonking. Uh, yeah, I suppose I, I'm a bit because obviously he's a rugby player first, um, but I suppose. Um, Lucas Brown coming back uh, and and showing that he has got the talent and he just needs to obviously either so say this is his, his final goodbye or, or knuckle down and go again uh, and and obviously what legacy do you think does he does he leave Lucas Brown at the moment if he does decide to go? It depends, Rob. I mean, he's not going to have the legacy he should have done because after that world title win, there was the drug incident and it sort of kept him out of the ring for two years. And when he came back against Dillian White, he was significantly overweight. And because of that, he wasn't able to defend himself brilliantly. He gets knocked out cold and he comes back 
not looking the same man. And that world-level talent had, had just gone. Because that's what can happen when you get beat badly. It can just take everything out of you. At the end of the day, you take a repetitive damage to the head, and that's mm. never ideal. So that's what happened to Lucas Brown. His sort of world-level credentials died that night. I wasn't expecting him to beat Ziango, truth be told, after the, mm. after the Paul Gallen loss. So the fact that he was able to come through it after being outboxed for four rounds and somehow find this rocky fairy tale like finish, I don't think there's a better way to finish your career, Rob. That should be it. But unfortunately, it's looking like he's going to carry on and he's chasing that Paul Gallen rematch. That's not something I want to see particularly. I mean, he's fighting, of course, Lusick, as you mentioned there. And yeah. As, as for people who don't know Lusick that well, can you tell us a bit about his rugby league career? Darcy Lusick, he played for Salford. He played, I think he played for Widnes. Um, he's a big forward. Um, and, you know, he, he was Andy. He did throw uh, a lot of, uh, lot of uh, you know, dodgy, dodgy fights on the field. But he was a kind of a big prop forward. And you kind of want your, your forwards to mix, mix it in the, the rugby league. Uh, field and and he was uh, one of them. Uh, he's played for Manly Sea Eagles. And he he played for on played for Toronto. He played for us. So for Red Devils, he played for Fe- Featherstone for a bit as well. Um, six foot four, seventeen stone. So he is a he is a bit of a he is a a big big bloke. So it will be interesting to see. Uh, what happened in that in that fight between Paul Gallon and Darcy Lussick? Because obviously they're both you know rugby league players, and uh, I've always said with rugby league players, James, you've got to be fast, you've got to be fit, and you've got to be hard, um, and and these and you've got to be a bit mad as well. Uh, and these two kind of tick all them boxes. So this fight could be could be tremendous. It could be uh, like Rocky both going at it under an hour because I don't see it being a tactical sit behind you jab and, and wait for uh, you know a mistake from your opponent. I think these two will just go into each other like they're on the rugby pitch. Do you have any sort of affiliation with Lossick through him playing for Salford? You were mostly invested in this one at all. Um, oh well, I, I think if, if I get a chance to watch the fight, I'll probably want Darcy Lossick to win because he is a Salford, ex-Salford uh, player. Um, but like I say, in all, any boxing matches that I do watch, it's just about the entertainment value and uh, I just want a good fight, really, that both fighters are willing to fight, both fighters are going forward uh, and, uh, you know, whoever swings the, the biggest punch, hopefully will win. I mean, we look at this and on paper, Darcy Lossick far, far taller than Paul Gallen at the press mm. conference. He was tiring over them, but he doesn't have anywhere near the amount of experience as the ex-Rhinos captain does. And furthermore... If Paul Gallen wins this fight, he says that the only battle he wants before his retirement is one with Sonny Bill Williams. Mm. And Sonny Bill, of course, a massive star out in that area of the world. And that would surely be an absolutely massive fight. Oh, it'd be huge. Sonny Bill Williams, a star in rugby league, star in rugby union, you know, a star in the boxing front by the sound of it as well. So I think probably Paul Gallen wants to be the, the king of the rugby Rugby playing boxing fraternity, we'll call it. Um, will Sonny Billy Williams give him that fight? That's a big question. Um, but I mean, the one you'd you'd want to tune in for because both are supreme athletes, and it'd be a fantastic uh, sort of occasion. Um, getting back to the uh, the world of boxing, uh, Anthony Yard redeemed himself in a massive way in London uh, later on that night. What what do you make of that? Good win for Anthony Yard against Lyndon Arthur in a rematch nobody really called for because. The Mancunian schooled Yard in the first fight. It was quite easy for him. He boxed well off his jab. He had Anthony Yard chasing shadows at points. So 
I, I was a bit disappointed, honestly, when the rematch was made because I didn't think there was any need for it. But Yard proved everybody wrong. He came to this one with a new game plan and he didn't sit behind his jab this time. He just flew at Lyndon Arthur and wanted to take him out from the opening bell. And he did just that. It took him only four rounds to get the stoppage. Lyndon Arthur went over from a barrage of punches and it's looking like Yard could 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 go towards a world title fight now. Could the Londoner win a world title? It's difficult. I mean, he fought Kovalev for the WBO Championship off beating Journeyman. And he managed to give him a very good fight. And it was a faded version of Kovalev, but still a dangerous Russian. So, could he win a world title? Maybe, is the honest answer. It would have to be the right opponent. Uh, there's a fight for the WBO title coming up soon with uh, somebody from Frank Warren Stable, Callum Johnson. So that could be an option. Should Callum Johnson win that? I mean, he's in against a tough operator in Joe Smith. But Anthony Yard is capable of beating those either two men. So, yeah, I think he is capable of winning a world title. Break down the Johnson v Smith fight for us, James. It's absolute bombs away, this one, Rob. I cannot wait for it. Two of my favourite fighters, two of the nicest guys in world boxing. Joe Smith, the blue-collar man for the United States of America, the New York area. A man who only does boxing part-time in general. He's a bit of a trade worker, working on the docks in uh, New York and stuff like that. A very hard, tough man. Not necessarily the most skilled fighter, but he gives it everything he has, every single fight, and he's caused a plethora of underdog upsets in his career. And Callum Johnson, everybody wants him to do well because he's such a likeable character, of course, doing boxing for his dad. And he was ever so close to picking up a world title against Arta Baterbia, putting the dangerous Russian down. Wasn't meant to be that night, but he's got the boxing skills here to beat Joe Smith Jr. He's the better technical boxer. And he probably hits that a little bit harder. It's just whether he can weather that Joe Smith storm because the man from New York, the beast from the East, will give it absolutely everything. So the world title on the line for this fight, it's a great, great world title fight and one that I will definitely be tuning into. Talk us through the controversy on the undercard. Shocker this, Rob. Uh, Herman Shiraz and Bradley Skeet. Skeet giving Shiraz a bit of a boxing lesson, of course. Uh, Frank Morin's man, Shiraz, I mean... He was putting a lot of heat behind him, making out that he was going to go on to do something special. And it was quite easy for Bradley to dismantle him, outbox him with a jab, a bit too slick, a bit too quick. And Shiraz caught him on the back of the head uh, in the later rounds and Skeet went down. And then Shiraz proceeded to hit him with four or five blows while he was on the deck. So an instant disqualification because Bradley Skeet was never the same again after that. It should have been over. The referee allowing Bradley Skeet to, to go on is just ridiculous because the decision like that should never be in the fighters' hands because they will almost definitely say that, yes, I'm fine, I'll continue. He wasn't fine. He shouldn't have been allowed to continue. That should never have been his decision. So it's pretty disgusting. Uh, the British Boxing Board of Control haven't made a statement yet. They should do. They should look to make this an no contest because there's no way in hell that uh, Bradley Skeet deserves to lose that fight. There was some good action in the States. James, talk us through that. <laughs> There most certainly was Devin Haney versus Jojo Diaz. Another step up for the American. Diaz, of course, putting in some really good shifts for world titles. Of course, beating Tevin Farmer a few years ago. But Saturday night was Haney's night. He put in a career-best performance to beat Diaz. And now he looks likely to fight for a world title. George Cambosos, the undisputed world champion. I don't class Haney's belt as a real one. I think all this franchise stuff is ridiculous. Uh, I mean... 
Cambosos beat Lopez, who beat Vasily Lomachenko, who'd beaten Luke Campbell for that vacant WBC world title. The franchise stuff just is ridiculous. Devin Haney's an email champion. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Looking forward to this. For me, it isn't a unification. It's Cambosos defending his belts, and the fight should most definitely be in Australia. There was some good action to look forward to next week, James. Connor Ben uh, takes on a tough American in Liverpool. He does. Chris Algieri, a former WBO champion of the world, and slowly but surely, Connor Ben's beginning to take those steps up, isn't he? I mean, he's been pro since, what, 2015, and it's taken a while just to get him over that line, get him into these big fights. But they're coming slowly but surely. It's another person who can't punch. So that's a bit interesting because it seems that Conor Ben's not been matched up with anybody that can hit him very hard yet. But either way, Chris Algieri, a slick operator, coming off a good win against Tommy Coyle. So a great fight as far as I'm concerned. And a good one for the Liverpool crowd. And of course, Katie Taylor's on the undercard as well. In a bit of a, a nothing fight, to be honest, taking on Amanda Tree. It was looking like she was going to fight Amanda Serrano. That hasn't happened. So, yeah, a bit, a bit stale for Katie Taylor there. There's a new promoter in the world of boxing. Talk us through the first show. Prebellum. Uh, they've come out of nowhere. Uh, Richard Schaefer's new promotional outfit. And they seem to be doing big bits in the world of boxing. Their first show takes place at the Cola Cola Centre in Saudi Arabia. Oh. Uh, two Brits fighting for uh, world titles in that bill. Sonny Edwards defending his against uh, Jason Mama, his mandatory. He should win that. And then Paul Butler taking on a big task against John Real Casemiro. I mean, people remember him. He's fought in England on uh, multiple occasions. I think actually he uh, beat Jamie Conlon in Belfast years ago. So a good fight at John Real Casemiro, and uh, he should win that one. Yeah, five minutes to go in the show, James. So there's loads to go uh, through. Are the rumours true that Andy Joshua may be stepping away from his big rematch? They are. Um... I think everybody was expecting the next chapter of the heavyweight division to be Anthony Joshua versus Alexander Usyk. This big, big rematch. Joshua, of course, bamboozled and outskilled by Usyk's mesmerising footwork. But it looks like he won't be taking that rematch because he's in negotiations currently to take a step-aside deal to allow Fury to fight Usyk for the undisputed world championships. And from an outsider point of view, Rob, if you were AJ in this scenario, would you be taking money to step away from the Usyk fight because, of course, Usyk beat you comfortably last time out. But should you want to get that redemption? You think so, wouldn't you? Because you want to be you want to be able to get back to the top table. So you've got to beat the best to, to get there, haven't you? So to take a, a money to get out of the fight seems a bit strange to me. Yeah, most certainly. And it doesn't go along with the ethos that Anthony Joshua has set for years of being this man or fight absolutely anybody because. It is a bit of a duck, really, isn't it? Yeah. If you don't fight Alexander Usyk. I mean, it's fantastic for the British fight, uh, fight fans because we get Alexander Usyk versus Tyson Fury for every single belt in the division. And then there can be absolutely no qualms or concerns as to who the best in the world is. But as AJ, it sort of says, I'm not confident I can beat Usyk. Mm. That's, that, that's what I feel from this. Um, Deontay Wilder did an interview with his girlfriend, Riesler, and he seems to have taken the Fury loss fairly well. I mean, you, you laugh there, Robert, but uh, it seems you, that... Uh, sorry, James, let's jump in there. How do you take a loss fairly well? <laughs> but, uh, well, I actually thought you were laughing with the fact that he was doing the interview with his girlfriend. Well. So there was a bit of a bit of, bit of confusion there. But, uh, yeah, it seems that she's the only person he's willing to do interviews with now, considering he's avoiding, avoiding all sort of media. But, yeah, uh, after the last loss to Tyson Fury in the second fight, he was delusional. He was making all sorts of ridiculous excuses about 
temper, gloves, his trainer, drugging him, his weighing cost, his, his ring water costume, should I say, being too heavy. Just ridiculous, unbelievable stuff. But you could tell in his own mind he, he believed this. So I think he almost needed to get knocked out cold by Tyson Fury. I think it was the best thing for him. I think if he'd been stopped on his feet again, he'd have lost it. But I think the fact that he knows he was bested, that he knows he was not called, I think that almost makes the loss easier to accept for him because it's more definitive. Two minutes to go, James. What do you make of the Amy Cam Kel Brook press conference? Absolutely mental, Rob. I mean, this feud has been going on for years, hasn't it? I mean, it's so personal by this stage. I mean, Khan's made so many digs about Brook's private life, made accusations at him. Brooke has made all sorts of comments towards Khan. I mean, these two men genuinely despise each other. This isn't a fake beef to sell pay-per-views. Brooke has been absolutely desperate for this fight for years, and he's finally got it, but it may have come too late for him because his punch resistance looks to have gone. But saying that, I still think he's the favourite. I still think stylistically he's very bad for Amir Khan. So Brooke fans will still believe that he can get this win here. He can still get the knockout. I mean, Amir Khan will have the advantage with the fight being in Manchester. And if you can look into the mind games at all, Amir Khan definitely got the best of that first press conference, but there's still a long way to go before the fight. Yeah, with a minute to go, uh, James, Lopez lost his world titles last week, but he had a, had bad health issues going into the fight. He did. He had trapped wind between uh, between his lungs, <laughs> right. which... Which, uh, I mean, you laugh, Rob, but I mean, the doctors said that uh, he could have died right. uh, if he'd have been hit in the wrong specific place. So, uh, worrying times for Tiafimo Lopez, and I suppose we just hope that he gets that sorted before his next outing. I mean, I don't want to say too much about it, because the last thing we want to do is take away from George Cambosos, but definitely a worrying problem, and it's a shame that it wasn't diagnosed sooner, because he really never should have fought. 30 seconds to go, James. Ricky Hatton's son returned to the winning ways in Spain. Is it good that he fought on a smaller show? Yeah, most definitely, Rob. I mean, Campbell Hatton lost his last fight, but got a dodgy decision, and he's getting a lot of pressure. Nobody his age should be fighting in front of 70,000 at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So I'm very, very happy that he's been able to develop on a smaller stage without the pressure, and I'm glad that he's got his first knockout win as well. Yeah, and I'm glad that you've all tuned in to the Sport Zone on Salford City Radio this evening to listen to me and James talk all things sport in Salford, and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Channel. 